Hello, welcome to another episode of the Menswear Style Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Brooker, and today on the show, I am talking to the founder of Emerton Scott, Scott Lancaster. And Emerton Scott is a jewelry brand inspired by Stoic philosophy, and their unique necklaces, inspired by Stoicism, have become the fastest funded crowd funding project in history. And here to talk about the brand and that campaign, it's the founder, Scott Lancaster. So, Scott, you're the founder of Emerton Scott London, and you've just become officially the fastest funded Kickstarter in history. So congrats on that. Uh, how are you feeling? And did you expect everything to go so well so early on? Um, it's To be honest, it was, a, it was a little bit of a surprise. So we didn't... Um, we, we definitely didn't expect to get funded in our first, I think it was like three minutes or something when we actually got funded. So it was a little bit crazy. We actually, as kind of an internal joke, we actually said, listen, like, should we give the backers something a little bit extra special if we get backed in like the first hour? And we were like, that's never going to happen, right? Like, that's like just a, like a pipe dream. And we did it in three minutes. So yeah, not, not too bad. So pleased, but also nervous because yeah, things are going to start ramping up now. We've got a little bit of momentum, so we'll see how things go. And so what do you think you did right? Now you can look on it slightly objectively. What do you think the, the key to the success of getting something like this so, so well done and so quick? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, on, honestly, so I've, I've been kind of part of kickstarters and, and launches before where I'm like I'm, I'm a branding consultant so I, I work with companies all the time who do this sort of thing and, and one thing that always helps is authenticity so just just having something that the brand stands for which is something someone can connect to because there's so many there's so many brands out there Peter, that like just just sell a product right and they don't really stand for anything they just want to sell a product and sell as much product as possible we don't really care about that. We honestly don't. We want to uh, help as many people as possible with the um, the donations to mental health charities that we are, you know, doing, and and ultimately we just want to reach as many people as possible. So I think I think that kind of really struck a chord with people. Um, a lot of the people that the crazy thing is, a lot of the people that we have, you know, on our email list contacting us haven't even backed our project yet. So we're fully funded. But a lot of people still haven't backed yet, so we've still got, got all those to come. So, yeah, that's uh, that's exciting stuff. And so what happens when you do have a campaign that gets funded so quickly? Do do you keep the window open? Does it run another couple of weeks? I mean, how does it work when you're already over the finish line? Yeah, yeah. So the um, the the way that Kickstarter works, at least at least at least to my knowledge, is that you you have like a daily period. So we we set our campaign up for 18 days, which basically gives us the rest of December to ultimately give people the opportunity to secure a necklace at like a ridiculously low price, like pretty much cost price, to be honest. Um, the the cost of the necklace, so we were we were originally um, selling the, the, the necklaces one by one. So someone would purchase a necklace, we would tell our workshop, they would hand make it within kind of four or five days, then we would gift wrap it, put it in our special, you know, Ruby packaging, our premium packaging, and then we would send it to them. And they were loving it, but they were paying like upwards of like 200 pounds for a necklace, which is, you know, it's like for what you're getting, it's still good, uh, good value, you know, but the fact of the matter is by simply just securing more materials and working more efficiently, so having kind of like more pieces to make at one time, 
we can re- like reduce the the cost of the the manufacturing and the cost of the materials significantly. So you know we're we're able to give people you know like a two hundred pound necklace for for you know like forty quid, which which is crazy. You know it's like this you know pretty you know nearly a hundred like more than a hundred percent less than what you would be paying. So it's yeah it's it's nuts. It's absolutely crazy. You're paying like less than fifty percent of what you would be paying if you went to retail. So if I was a part of your team, Scott. I would just be saying, right, we've done the campaign now. We can all put our feet up for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, I've definitely, I've definitely had a message or two from the guys, but uh, yeah, we're we're just excited, man. We're excited. Um, we've had a good start, so yeah, it's all good. Yes. All right. So, I mean, there are tons of jewelry brands out there, though. I mean, what's what makes you guys? What makes Emerton Scott different? Would you say? Yeah, it's another good question. Um, I think that the, I mean, again, people, the the authenticity comes into it. The fact that um, you know we we actually stand for something as opposed to just you know just just try to sell as much product as possible. Um, you know, there are so many brands out there that are just empty. Um, you know, you look at great brands out there like uh, you know Patagonia, for example. I think the 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 owner of Patagonia is literally just dedicating all of his money to to charities to try and make the world a better place, and um, you know, things like that speak volumes. And another thing which I think really helps us stand out is, you know, just to kind of take a step back and just give a little bit of insight in regards to why the product was even developed in the first place. I was, it was, I think it was like two Christmases ago, I was shopping with my mum for a present for my grandma and she got her this, this, this bracelet. And I remember it was a, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm not going to say the actual jewelry company's name, but it's a very well known jewelry company. I don't want to get in any trouble um, in uh, the city center. And we went into the store and I think she paid around like 140 quid for this necklace. I'm sorry for this, uh, this bracelet. I apologize. And I was stunned when the person behind the counter handed my mum this 140 pound bracelet that looked pretty basic, to be honest pretty meaningless in a little cheap box that you could literally get from, you know, Amazon for like 50p and a, and a, and a cheap paper bag. And I just thought I was like, to actually give somebody a gift that looks that bad, right? Like the bracelet, it's, regard, it's, it's, it's kind of irrelevant how the bracelet looks. It's how it's presented, right? Like when you get something and it really kind of feels good to kind of open something and everything looks really nice and, it it looked it looked terrible, Peter. It looked absolutely terrible. So I actually went on the on the company's website, right? True story. I went on the company's website that very night, and I was reading the actual reviews, and I would say maybe twenty percent. I'm not even kidding. About twenty percent of the reviews on the products were all about how bad the packaging was, how people were buying these as gifts, and they would feel embarrassed to actually give these as gifts with the packaging that was supplied. So I was like why is nobody doing this? Like I was looking at all the jewelry brands, you know, that, that's affordable. And none of them were, were focusing on the packaging. So I was like, okay, that's one way that we can differentiate. That's one thing that can make us different because nobody else is doing this. Nobody. Like our packaging is like up there with like the likes of Cartier and Dior and all the, all these incredible jewelry brands, these high, high end jewelry brands. And we, we, we're competing with those guys. Affordable jewelry brands, they don't care about packaging and the opening experience. And ultimately, I think that's going to be a massive, massive factor to people choosing them at the Scott or the other jewelry brands around our price point in the future. Yeah, 
Interesting. I mean, that's the same thing that I tell my girlfriend. That's why she does all the Christmas wrapping. So if you leave that's it to me, idea. it's just going to get wrapped in the Daily Mail. <laughs> Not that by that, maybe the Metro. Um, that's, but yeah, that's, it's, that's it's, crazy. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. I was just, no, just no, going to say that. I always get my mum to, to to help with like wrapping the actual like when we get orders in. I always get my mum to actually do the ribbon because she's so much better at it than me. It takes me yeah. like five days almost to do the ribbon once. She's like uh, an absolute pro from all the all the practice for me and my brothers. So yeah, they you know, she's uh, she's definitely got a place in the team to put it that way. <laughs> I mean, yeah. How do mums know all that? I mean, the ribbons that you get, it's just a. When you put it together, it just comes out like a horrible mess, if you mean. But, yeah, that's it. Me so as well. What is that? Uh, I noticed on the website, and uh, it's kind of like the through line of the brand, the stoicism, the philosophy that's behind it. What What is that? Do you mind drilling down on that for us? Yeah, um, I mean, stoic philosophy is pretty well known. It's, it's, it's not something that's, you know, that's super new. Um, it's ultimately ancient Greek, an ancient Greek uh, school of philosophy and from the likes of, you know, Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, Epictetus, you know, and t- tons of other philosophers from that time period. Um, it, it was essentially, and it is essentially, uh, a way for people, at least it, it's kind of like a crutch for people to use, almost like a religion to, to some extent, but it's not a religion where people can get kind of get through hardship and, and challenges and, and sort of testing times. Um, it's you know it's, it's about you know focusing on what you can control and not what you can't control and just having a really healthy mindset when you know when when shit gets really hard and I mean in times like today you know things have <laughs> things are things are pretty tough so you know stoicism is if you look at Google Trends for example stoicism has been trending for you know the past 10 20 years you know it's getting more and more popular because people especially with social media with mental health which is why we're actually connected to mental health and obviously trying to help in that arena. We, you know, we're seeing stoicism become more and more useful to, you know, young men, men, women, to get through these hardships and challenges with a healthy mindset and come out at the end, the other end, a better place and a, a, you know, a stronger person. So yeah, I mean, stoicism is like a, like a tool, a tool to, to get through difficult times ultimately, at least in my opinion. And do you like read Stoicism like a Christian would read a Bible? Is it something that you kind of have in your daily life or quotes written around on the walls, framed and stuff like that? Yeah, so that, that, that's actually that's actually interesting. I had a conversation with a guy called Jack who has like this Instagram page about Stoicism, and I, I asked him. I said, "Listen, would you like to help us grow this grow this brand, and maybe I'll, I'll send you a necklace?" And he said, "Listen, like necklaces are not really my thing, but I'd love to." Um, I'd love to just kind of have a chat with you, right? Like, let, let's have a let's have a conversation. And I'm like, okay. So we had a conversation, and he actually said that for him personally, stoicism is essentially something that someone can lean on when times get really hard. So when I said that it's, it's kind of a religion, but it kind of isn't. It, it's there if you need it, but it's not something which you kind of, at least I don't, read every single day. It's something that I use every day, but I don't actually study it every day. I actually started reading about it um, from my jujitsu coach, my jujitsu, my jujitsu coach at the time. I said, "Do you have any books?" I hadn't even heard of Stoicism back then. It was like four or five years ago, and he said, um, oh, "Read this book called Obstacle Is the Way" by Ryan Holiday. And I was like, "Okay, I'll, I'll read it." I didn't even know what Stoicism was or who Ryan Holiday was, and I read that book, and I was like, "Like, like." That makes so much sense. Like I was reading the pages, I was listening to it, and I just went through an absolute craze, Peter, of like like two or three months of just reading 
everything that you can get your hands on when it comes to stoicism. All of Ryan Holiday's books, Meditations, um, Seneca's book, Epictetus's book, but everything that I could get my hands on. And I just kind of began to see, you know, I'm not going to say it was cliche and like my life all changed and stuff, but I, I started to be able to handle my life a lot better. So for example, something that usually would get me super emotional, I would be really composed and I'd be able to handle my emotions and stay pretty calm, therefore make better decisions. Therefore, all of these little tiny decisions would compound and ultimately I would end up in a far better place, in a in a far more fruitful, fruitful place than I would had I reacted and, and let things kind of really tie me up and get me all, you know, you know, riled up. So th- I think that's where it comes into play for me. Um, it's just a really great tool to just stay calm when you need it. You don't need it all the time because some days, you know, hardship isn't really there for, for most people. So, but when, you know, when shit does it, the fan, you know, you really, really, you know, have something there which is really solid, a solid set of principles that you can really rely on, you know? Yeah, I wish I had you around last Saturday when we lost the football, because I think yeah. it, having someone like you to talk to him, I mean, I, I, I bought all the pork pies, so I was, at, I was throwing a party, and I had a lot of international friends over with my girlfriend, yeah. who's Russian, and so lots of Americans, lots of Russians, and they didn't really quite get what the big deal was, to be honest, but, you know, I got all the, the crisps, you know, from Herefordshire, and the pickle and pickled eggs, you know, everything that you pretty much have in your standard pub yeah. when you're when you're yeah. 18 and then so when when uh, your hopes and dreams get flushed and taken away at the last minute of the game you kind of look around and go well what else is there apart from london pride or black star that, <laughs> that can actually remedy this horrible gnawing feeling hollowing uh-huh. feeling i was uh i was I was so I was on the edge of my I was on the edge of my seat. I, d- I don't watch as much football as I used to, but net, like I've obviously been following England and stuff during the World Cup. I literally was on the edge of my seat when Rashford had that free kick right at the end, and I was mm-hmm. like, I was like sitting there, and I was like, if this goes in, this guy is going to be like a national treasure, like a hero. And I was just like, France was so good. France was so good in the first half. Like I was literally like, this could be an absolute walkover. So when I was actually, I was actually watching it with my mum. I was like, listen, like that—that that was actually closer than I thought it was going to be. I just wish that Harry Kane had got that and, and just smashed that straight down the middle and just got that in. But yeah, we—I think I think everyone in the UK was uh, was prepped in stoicism at that, uh, you know, <laughs> that day. To be honest, everyone was in the same. Boat That's why the Google it. trend went up. It's not twenty years; it's just the last twenty days. That's all that, is. that was it. That was it. Stoicism through the roof. Let's talk about the designs, um, please, Scott. The designs inspired by quotes as well by the some of the philosophers that you've mentioned. And what's the process from taking a quote? And then turning it into a piece of jewelry. Yeah, so it's. Um, I mean, we we definitely didn't make our lives easy. To be honest with you, Peter, we. Um, I mean, if, if if you go on online, and this was some something else that I kind of researched. For anyone for anyone who's ever looked up stoic jewelry or stoicism related jewelry, you go online and you you see things with skulls on them, memento mori, you know, amal fati, like all of these things, which are just super direct and. To be honest with you, Peter, like, you know, everyone's entitled to their opinion, but they don't look very elegant. They're quite ugly, right? Like, who wants to walk down the street with a, you know, a skull necklace on, right? So what I was kind of looking at was, right, okay, we've got these, you know, memento mori. We've got all these, like, incredible lessons and philosophies from Stoicism. How can we communicate them or symbolize them 
in a design which is more abstract and more palatable, right? Like something, something which is more elegant. So the entire process is ultimately we, we look at the quote first. We look at you know, what the actual quote is, is saying. What's the message behind it? Then we look at how we can communicate that with shape. So for example, we've, we've got eight pieces in our collection right now. Um, and um, so you get you get them in 14 karat gold or silver. And that, that's a, the Claria necklace, the one that I'm actually wearing right now. So for example, that, that, that necklace there, um, the Claria necklace is a symbol of clarity and fortitude. So if you look at the actual design close up, you can see that the, the, inner, the inner circle is completely clear. It's completely clear. And that symbolizes the clarity of mind that um, you know that Marcus Aurelius, that Seneca, and Epictetus talk about, you know, to to stay composed and to stay ascended, and then the the sort of the the jaggedy outer ring symbolizes fortitude and the the, the fact that when you know when, when shit gets really tough, right, you need to stay composed and you need to keep that clarity of mind to make sure that your judgment isn't clouded, to make sure that external events, things outside of your control, don't start to cloud your judgment and impact your performance as a person, right? Because that's when things really start, you know, going downhill. So that that's ultimately, I mean, we, we did 460 designs for the eight wow. for the eight pieces in our collection. 460. Most of them obviously we, you know, we we rejected. Some of them we 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 continued on. But honestly, Peter, it was just a a painstaking case of just really gritting our teeth and just saying, right, okay, does this represent respectfully the um does it represent the, the the quote that we're trying to communicate? Does it does it does it do it justice? And and that was kind of the the main driver behind it. The the designer who we partnered with has worked with some incredible brands. Like when he was telling me, you know, who he's worked with, I was like, why are you working with us? Like we're actually like a startup. Why are you working with us? But he just loves stoicism. He just loves what he does. So we were, you know, we, you know, he he uh, he's been a part of the team now for you know pretty much the entire process. And thankfully he stuck with me and uh, and didn't get sick of me and tell me to bugger off after uh you know after it writ- uh, it uh, you know 25 revisions you know of the same design which i'm sure was a little bit frustrating for him. yeah and so you mentioned you also had like a, a database or like an audience that was built up before you did the, the crowdfunder um do you give people the options of which designs you want to choose do you kind of do some soft marketing with the people that you've already got and you've reached out to that you engaged with before and did they have any sway in your decisions yeah so yeah that's that that, that was actually that was actually that, that's a really good question so and it was really important that we actually started to listen to our customers like super super early on the reason being is you know for example the um the stones that are sort of the diamonds that are in you know, some of the designs we needed to know how many we'd need if we were going to do a Kickstarter, you know, like if we, you know, if we didn't have enough stones, then we couldn't make the majority of the pieces that are actually in the collection. So we, um, we reached out to all of our customers and said, listen, like, which pieces do you, do you resonate most with? And we created this entire database on, you know, which pieces were more popular, which pieces were less popular. And ultimately we, arrange the materials and the entire quote that we needed from the the supplier to make sure that we had enough for the most popular pieces and then obviously go from there so 
yeah, it was, um, it's, it, it, I mean, we're still learning, we're still understanding, you know, who our target audience really is, you know, how we can serve them better. That's the most important thing. We need to be super customer centric, but, um, but ultimately it's, it's a learning process. We're, we're still a super young company. We're just trying our best just to make an incredible product. And ultimately, and, you know, I've, I've worked with over a thousand, you know, brands over the last eight years of being a branding consultant, working with startups all over the world. And the reality is, no matter how good your marketing is, no matter what, you know, what else you do, product always wins. It's always about product. If your product's a winner, then that's the most important thing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we focus a lot of our energy on that. Awesome. Well, great talking to you, Scott. Thanks for walking us through the brand. Um, people can obviously still get on board with the Kickstarter campaign. Uh, I think head over to the website, emmertonscott.co.uk, I want to say, no, .com. Dot com. Com, yeah, dot com. <laughs> um, Emerton, E-M-E-R-T-O-N, And uh, we'll put all the links over on the show notes at Menswear Style. Awesome, yeah. uh, so anything lined up for 2023 after you get back from Thailand? Uh, I think it's just going to be a case of, well, we're actually developing two other products now. Um, one that I can't tell you too much about, but the, the other one is essentially like a, a productivity system, which basically brings together the, you know, teachings from Stoic philosophy and technology together to ultimately adapt to the persons, you know, as they actually grow. So it's not just a product productivity system that stays stagnant. It grows with you. So super excited about that. But uh, yeah, that's going to be, that's next year. I want to just focus on getting this Kickstarter out of the way and getting a little bit of sleep in between. Nice. You've been listening to the Menswear Style podcast. Be sure to head over to menswearstyle.co.uk for more menswear content and email info at menswearstyle.co.uk if you'd like to be a future guest on the show. Finally, please help support the show by leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Until next time.